This is Patrick Henningsen, and you're listening to On the QT at 21wire.tv. Accessing confidential data. Welcome to On the QT at 21Wired.tv. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. Thanks for joining us this for this podcast. This is uh, free, uh, the first 30 minutes. The first part is free, and uh, and hope you enjoy it. Hope you like it. And uh, after the, uh, around the 30-minute mark, we're going to go for members and subscribers at 21Wired.tv for the final hour. Uh, So if you do like it and you do want to join, we do encourage Become a subscriber, help support our work at 21st Century Wire, and become a member at 21wire.tv. Now, this is this has been, I think, the U.S. election season. Uh, it's very busy in terms of news. There's uh, email dumps coming out uh, every day uh, for the last week uh, from WikiLeaks. Plus, you have all the other uh, current events and all the other geopolitics uh quite some serious things going on, especially in Iraq and also in Syria. And uh, keeping up with this, along with the economy and uh, with the other issues surrounding the U.S. election, uh, it's really quite a challenge to keep up. And uh, we've, you know, we're struggling, <laughs> to be honest. But what we're going to do today is we're going to boil down some of the important issues. And uh, r- right now we're looking at, uh, in the first part of the show, and then we'll go into more detail in the second part, but we'll we'll look at a couple of key uh, stories that are connected uh, with this election and the Clinton campaign. We'll talk about the Trump campaign as well, uh, and then we'll look at some of the WikiLeaks emails, and which I think are very underreported, especially in the U.S. media. They've almost ignored it, aside from a few media outlets. And uh, the more I read through some of these cables, uh, it becomes clear to me, at least in my lifetime, uh, this is the biggest corruption scandal in politics. Uh, and I remember even as a, as a very young child, Watergate, uh, or the aftermath of Watergate, um, hearing it on TV and everyone talking about it growing up uh, when I was four or five, six years old. And uh, that's a walk in the park. Um, that's a little bit of a game of racquetball uh, compared to what we're looking at here. So we're going to look into some of those in detail, it is incredible when you really get in and look at the scale and scope of this. Uh, I'll call it a syndicate uh, because this is exactly what it is. It's quite amazing, and I think everyone should know about it. it doesn't matter what your bent is on the presidential election, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican or an Independent or a Green. Um, it's important that you know uh, the contents of uh, these leaks and the issues that they represent. And they're all very real and very factual. Uh, so even if people don't like the sound of it, uh, in terms of preserving a constitutional republic or what some people refer to as a democracy in America, you can't, you can't claim to want to preserve and nurture that if you don't understand or you're shunning what's in these, these leaks. So we're going to cover some of those. We're also going to look at one of the candidates as well who's running uh, in Utah. Uh, as an independent, I believe. His name's Evan McMullen. Uh, we're going to take a look at his profile. Uh, and also, we're going to just touch on Mosul and Syria and Raqqa. 
these are two ISIS strongholds, so-called, and uh, currently there's a raid on Mosul. We're going to look at a little detail of that, and then actually the U.S. are hoping to to basically leverage that in order to essentially steal a piece of Syria, uh, which is Raqqa, and use that for their purposes. Uh, and I believe they'll be doing this in conjunction with Turkey. So we will look at that, and this, obviously in the second hour for members, we'll go into more details with uh, quite a few uh, premium audio clips as well uh, from interviews to illustrate some of these points. But look, looking at the news, I mean, where do you start? And uh, th- I think the most important place to start is, I mean, the people have been warning warning about an economic collapse um, ever since 2008. The system's unstable. The markets are unsustainable. The uh, stock market can't keep going up uh, forever. Uh, and a lot of people are worried. I'm speaking to people all the time with 501Ks, retirement pension funds, uh, their stock market index, and uh, they have taken a hit over the years uh, during various dips in the market. But let's just say for the average person, um, to be, to, you have you might have one concern about this as an individual, and and it's going to affect millions and millions of people if there is a, a tremendous uh, the bottom falls out of the markets. Let's say in the new year or after the presidential elections called, um, that's going to hurt individuals. It's going to basically as the value of the market gets wiped out, it wipes out the assets and the retirement uh, value. Uh, that people have saved up in all these various uh, financial packages for retirement especially, but also people who have paid into it and who are still working as well. Uh, So their assets, their net worth is under attack. This is important. But for the institutions, for the people at Goldman Sachs, uh, for the investment bankers, for the hedge fund traders, and some of these other more unsavory uh, houses of ill repute, uh, in Wall Street and the city of London and further afield, um, uh, they're not upset at all if the bottom falls out of the market. In fact, uh, they're waiting for the bottom to fall out of the market because they've lined up all their deals and all the hedging that they're going to do uh, to make money off the crash. Because anybody who's in financial services will tell you, and I'm sure there's a few of you listening, uh, this is where you really make the money. Uh, is during a crash on the way down and on the way back up. So if the if you know if the the most amount of value gets wiped off the Dow Jones Industrial Average or the total volume of trading um, takes a serious hit, this is when all the real vultures come in and really know how to clean up basically. And we've seen this uh, many many times, and it will never change. And the problem is a lot of people who work in finance are so. Uh, devoid of any morals and, and ethics that they themselves, uh, in some cases, will s- conspire, at least between institutions as well. They'll conspire to drive that market down to accelerate that crash because they have their put options and their things laid on the side and their side bets and their bets upon bets, and then they have their insurance uh, as well uh, on their bets. And it's, it's a win-win situation, Okay. So, of course, the markets can't keep going up forever. So this is from Zero Hedge, and the uh, the headline is actually this is via John Rubino from DollarCollapse.com. But the boredom before the storm is the headline. And, uh, and basically it, it looks at some of the overriding factors here, and I think people need to take a look at a few things 
One of them, of course, is Brexit. That's at the top of the list, although I don't think that factors in as, as strongly as some people might think. In America, it's getting a lot more time. People who are actually following that story in Britain will realize that uh, the UK is not leaving the European Union. Okay, it's, It hasn't happened yet, and at the nearest, it's two years away, probably two and a half. So they're talking about uh, invoking Article 50 in March. And then there'll be a process of two years, a process of getting out. It's two and a half years from now. Okay, so you're looking at uh, 2019, the spring of 2019. That's when uh, Britain will be out. So that's not exactly going to create tremors in the market today. Okay, so we can cross that out. China's soaring debt, uh, that's something that is influential, absolutely. Um, but more influential is the amount of debt, U.S. debt, or T-bills and Treasury bills that are held by China, United States dollar uh, paper, held by China and kept by China. So in effect, China is subsidizing uh, the dollar and keeping it stable, if you will, floating. Uh, U.S., Russia, Chinese saber-rattling, uh, yeah, that's going to have some effect on the markets, uh, at least albeit in the short term. And then the unique U.S. presidential race, that will definitely trigger some major move in the market. Uh, especially a Trump victory. Uh, and a lot of people saying that could be a negative effect on the markets. I will beg to differ. I think it might actually create a surge in the markets because one of the key spokes of the Trump uh, reform package is lowering corporate tax to 15% in the United States. Now, how's Wall Street going to react to that? Probably pretty good. Um, that's probably going to bring good signals to Wall Street. In fact, uh, in terms of direct uh, reinvestment by uh, offshore U.S. firms back into the United States, you're looking at a, probably a net gain potentially there. So definitely there could be indicators for positive swing. So I don't know about the gloom and doom on some of these things that are debatable. Cyber attacks shutting down big parts of the U.S. Internet that happened this week. Uh, we covered that at 21stCenturyWire.com. And what a tremendous investigative article two-part article by Sean Helton. Uh, one of them was Soap of False Flag. That was the first article. And the second one was uh, the connection between Flashpoint, the firm, the so-called running PR and investigating this uh, cyber attack and their connections uh, with the inner workings of the establishment. So uh, I think we see the possibility of some sort of engineered crisis uh, in terms of cyber and of course the usual suspects are queuing up to blame that on Russia because uh, after all this is the go-to talking point in the United States for everything uh, Putin did it blame it on Russia uh, which is a shame but this shows you how low uh, the political culture and the media culture have sunk in the United States they've got no time to investigate or analyze anything they just hit the blame Russia button and uh, their job's done so I guess they're not blaming ISIS this, this year. In the last uh, few months, it's everything's Russia's fault. It used to be ISIS. Now it's Russia. Who knows who it'll be uh, in the new year? Maybe someone else. So, so they're saying here from Dollar Collapse, this is John Rubino, uh, you'd think that an unsettled world would be reflected in skittish financial markets. Instead, we're getting the opposite with stock price movements becoming more and more placid as the year goes on. The following chart uh, shows the volatility index and the S&P 500. So if you're au fait with some of these uh, terms and items, you'll, 
you'll be interested in this. You can go check this out at uh, dollarcollapse.com, the boredom before the storm. It's interesting, Um, but it also looks at some important fundamentals, and this is where we get into the conversation about the U.S. election. So the U.S. runs, check this out, a $107 billion budget deficit um, almost per month. So the U.S. is running in the red about $100 billion a month. Uh, well, at least in, in real terms, says the U.S. Treasury. Federal government uh, ran a budget deficit of $107 billion in August. These are the most recent available numbers from the U.S. Treasury Department. $43 billion more than August 2015. Now, that's the important bit. So basically, from the last year of the Obama White House, they're doubling the deficit um, each year. And the reason is uh, because the president's having to basically spend everything and the kitchen sink in the final year, so there's no problems, scandals, or leakage uh, during an election year because, after all, uh, all hands on deck. They need to get the next Democrat candidate in the White House. So to do that, they're basically running up the debt of the country. Well, that's what it looks like here anyway. So the government spent $338 billion last month, uh, and that's up 23% from the previous month. So you can see uh, in terms of an index on a graph, this is a steep hockey stick uh, going up over the last year. So what does it mean? It means that the current financial market uh, situation is no more sustainable than that of 2006, two years before the subprime mortgage collapse of 2008 that brought Lehman Brothers down and many other things in a domino effect with it. So we're seeing some of the same patterns and some of the uh, stats gurus are looking at some some of the behaviors of the market. Now, this is all subjective, uh, depending on many different factors. And of course, if you listen to different um, pundits, they'll tell you different things. But I think everyone's in agreement that the fundamentals of the markets, of the economy, uh, and the GDP, the debt ratio are not good. uh, And they're not sustainable. Um, They're sustainable for a finite period of time. And this, what the, what's the point here? The point is, no matter if Donald Trump wins uh, the presidential election in the U.S. or if Hillary Clinton wins, uh, we're still going to be faced with huge problems. In fact, insurmountable, in my opinion, uh, because you know each candidate has put forth uh, their idea or proposal for uh, fixing the economy, as it were, uh, getting people back to work, and so forth, um, but. We're talking about a budget deficit that is almost insurmountable. I mean, you'd have to go in and really slash and burn uh, policy in terms of uh, cutting uh, federal programs, departments, regulatory bodies, maybe entitlements, um, and things like that. There's some things that are untouchable pretty much. Uh, you won't be able to touch like Social Security uh, despite what the Democrat uh, pundits say, n- n- even the Republican can't mess with Social Security. So, But there's so many other big-ticket items. One of them, obviously, is the military. Donald Trump's talking up a bit rebuilding the military. We've already got a, a white budget of nearly $700 billion and a black budget of, I don't know, you can add a couple hundred more billion onto that, plus the CIA's budget might be a couple hundred billion. You're already up to a trillion right there. 
just with the DOD, the Pentagon, the CIA, and black budget projects, you're up to a trillion dollars. I mean, where Donald Trump's not going to cut any of that. He's surrounded by Dr. Strangelove generals. Uh, Hillary Clinton, she's already said what she's going to do. She's going to tax and she's going to spend. So the, the, what you're going to get with Hillary Clinton is the hockey stick that you see with Obama in terms of uh, monthly budget deficits up to now over $100 billion. Um, that's going to increase. And if you look at this, this is only, it hasn't been exponential, but it's been co- sort of a compound increase um, under the Obama, at least especially in the second term. It's just going up and up. So Hillary, uh, Hillary Clinton presidency, is, you're going to see the same thing. So this time next year, that figure for August in 2015 under Obama, $43 billion monthly budget deficit, now $107 billion in two hundred in uh, twenty sixteen, uh, Clinton twenty seventeen that August figure uh, at this present rate is probably going to be something like two hundred billion for the month of August. Let's just put that into perspective. There's some countries that is their annual G- GMP. Okay, and some decent sized countries. What does the United States? What are they spending this on? Where is, I mean, there's just money going out left, right, and center because all these politicians, especially traditionally a Democrat administration, will basically throw a lot of money around to basically buy support and to buy off the opposition. Obama did this with the stimulus package in uh, 2010, and uh, that wasn't just for Democrats. That was for Republicans, too. Everyone jumped on board and pinned on a little pork onto that, uh, including John McCain. In Arizona, I forgot what his parks or something. I don't know anything. Everyone just jumped in, added some uh, project or something for their local constituency onto the Obama's 2010 stimulus bill. What else was hidden in that was Operation Fast and Furious. That's right, the Department of Justice, uh, possibly in conjunction with uh, Janet Napolitano at the uh, Department of Homeland Security. That was Eric Holder's little baby to traffic uh, weapons. Uh, illegally into the hands of Mexican drug cartels. That was hidden within the 2010 stimulus bill. Go ahead and look it up. Of course, we covered that. I covered that myself many years ago. Um, But that's the kind of stuff that you can hide uh, in a $700 billion um, corporate welfare uh, payoff. And you just call that a stimulus, you see. So I think I'm pretty sure this is what Clinton will do because this is what they do full stop all the time. They don't really do anything else. Raise taxes, spend more. Donald Trump, I'm not sure if his plan is going to succeed in paying down the deficit. I would say it's going to be very difficult. Um, you know, Maybe he has a chance at growth and job growth. And just to give you a little peek into the wild, wicked world uh, of, the, of how governments lie to people, it's important that people understand this, okay? They're putting out unemployment figures out of the White House that are incredible, okay? Unbelievable. So unbelievable that no one would believe them. And I, th- I don't know, they they fudged the unemployment uh, percentage down to, I don't know, it's something ridiculous. They're saying it's like 4% or something. So who knows what planet they're living on. So just to explain how they game this, uh, listen to this clip. This is Edward Harrison from Boom Bust. 
Uh, this is a financial program on RT America. This is really important, too, because there's two things that your governments, whether you're in Britain or France or whether you're in the United States, of course, there's two things that your government will always lie to you about, and you need to know uh, as a voter or citizen what these two things are. There's two things that they always want to lie about. Most important lie to tell is the unemployment rate. Okay, they always want to fudge that down because nobody in power wants to dare own any reality of high unemployment. Okay, so they'll lie, they'll cheat, they'll do some sort of statistical uh, baking the report. Uh, they'll skew it in such a way and not count whole groups of people, hundreds of thousands, millions of people not even counted in that statistic uh, because of the way they've designed the parameters for uh, coming to that conclusion or whatever in terms of unemployment, there's many things. Ed Harrison will explain that in this segment. The other thing that they'll lie about is it generally is inflation. Uh, and we saw that in the last 15 years, uh, maybe the last 20 years. There's You can cook and game the consumer price index by not including certain things in there and including things that are pretty ridiculous and don't mean much, like a, toothbrushes and... Uh, sewing needles and uh, rubber bands and band-aids or whatever you should see some of the stuff in the cpi just go look it up see what the government uses for their consumer price index it doesn't include anything that you use a lot or the things that you're really paying through the nose for so for instance you know the they didn't count the huge jump uh, in fuel uh, especially in 2008 2009 um, and that was when the dollar i believe really took a a dip, uh, but oil prices just shot through the roof. I mean, per barrel, up toward upwards of $140 a barrel. You know, look at it where it's at now, and you can see how that would uh, translate the pump for four bucks, four bucks a gallon in Los Angeles. I remember driving through California in 08, spent a fortune on gas. That's not factored into the consumer price index, but yet that's raising the cost of goods and services, the cost of living. And everything, uh, utilities, electric, gas, uh, you, you'd be amazed what's not calculated into the government's official inflation rate. So we saw the cost of living soar over the last 15 years like no one's ever seen before, uh, post 9-11 especially. Uh, and so it's an artificial increase in the cost of living and the extraction of the value of the dollar. So at the same time, people's paychecks are worth less. They're being robbed through inflation. But this, when this inflation is not reported or not owned or admitted by the government, which in that case was the Bush administration, but Obama was at it as well uh, when he got in in, 20, in in 2008, 2009, same thing. But really bad under the Bush administration. So inflation and unemployment, two things that any government is not going to want to ever own up to, ever. And if Donald Trump becomes president, uh, if that happens, I would like to see if he is going to own those figures or he's going to cook the books like every other politician has done uh, in Washington most of the time. So, of course, they're not going to cook the books if there is real growth because they want to celebrate and, and uh, talk about it. So, But this is the game that's being played. So listen to, to understand unemployment, listen to this clip. Uh, this will get you to basically the ins and outs of it. Here we go. You've got, you know, this declining rate, yet the Fed is saying, look, we're near full employment. And, and that rhetoric is a little hard to digest. I mean, 
What do they mean by that? Yeah, so you know, they look at what's called the U3 rate, that's the headline rate of unemployment, but there are other rates of unemployment. The U6 rate is the broadest measure of unemployment, and the U6 rate basically counts people who are uh, not looking for a job full-time, also people who are part-time just for economic reasons, and that shows a huge spike up to 17% during the recession, and then now it's down at about 9.7%. Now, if you look at where we are today, that 9.7% number, that's actually the highest number except for a brief period in 2003 since 1996. So that what it says is, is that right now the unemployment rate uh, broadly defined is the worst that it's been in 20 years except for a brief period in 2003. So when you say full employment, to me that doesn't seem like full employment at all uh, whatsoever. So the concept that the United States is at full employment when we have the worst unemployment number for a broadly defined, this is a government statistic that just doesn't hold so water. So it's kind of an arbitrary marker that they've created. Yeah, I mean, uh, we have a falling labor force participation and we have a high broad level of, of unemployment, the U6 number. It says, I mean, 17 down to 10%, uh, that's still a huge uh, drop mm -hmm. during the Obama administration, but it's not full employment. And so overall, given what we know, given all the stats you just went through, what can we say about the economy and how it's faring right now? I would say that, you know, we're doing a lot better than we were uh, since 2008. Uh, if you look at the number for U6, it's obviously way down. We were almost cut in half. But in terms of labor force participation rate for men, especially men below the, uh, you know, who don't have a high school or col any college, it's terrible. It's been declining. It's, you know, and it, it continues to decline. And then I would also say that uh, the U6 number is, is still the worst since uh, 1996. So overall, I would say that it's middling, but it's definitely not full employment. And, yeah. And how do you think that plays into the election, which is coming up in a couple of weeks? Do you think, you know, the argument is being made? And it's being made, uh, you know, in a, in a good that, way by, by Clinton. Is she doing her job I, I of convincing that people of that? The reason that Trump is resonating with some people is basically because of the of, of what the numbers that I'm showing. That it's not as good as the headline numbers will give you. Okay, we'll leave it there. Ed Harrison, thank you so much for that. We love hearing from you guys. Make sure you. Okay, so that's an excellent breakdown, and you know, I hope you understand uh, the concept after that. And uh, I know I don't. We don't do finance or economics uh, very much uh, on this podcast or the Sunday Wire, uh, just because the you know the geopolitics is the overriding um, issue, and I think it's you know that's going to shape uh, our our international world, our and our internal politics in, in a profound way. And this is why we cover cover it in so much detail in the way that we have, and I think we've done a great job doing that in this past year thanks to uh, some of our reporters especially Vanessa Bealey uh, and people we spoke to like Eva Bartlett and many others so but uh, with regards to Syria but you know the economics and the economy and the sort of inner workings of the political machines um, become more relevant uh, in election years now in Britain it's a very short uh, general election cycle you're talking about a campaign uh, five, six weeks, really intense, and then it's over. In the United States, it, it, the, the presidential election is really a two-year process, and that's, that's a shame. It's a shame uh, because I, I believe it's, it's too long, uh, it's too detailed, uh, it's too expensive, but in a sense, it's become a real 
non-profit center for the mainstream media. Uh, they've used it to generate income, and uh, it, it's turned into quite a dirty circus, circus as well. It's th- This is the most underhanded, dirty, negative election uh, maybe in the history of the United States of America. Uh, it's really bad, and I don't think it's going to do the country much good by the time it's over, but it is what it is. So, but anyway, so we, we, you know, we don't do a lot of economics and finance, but when we do, we try to do a good job with it. Now, what we're going to get to after the, uh, the first 30 minutes, um, is really important. And one of those things is we're going to look into, we're going to break down, uh, some of the issues with these emails, uh, from WikiLeaks with the Clinton campaign. And we're going to look very closely at the Clinton campaign because, um, quite frankly, because the mainstream media is not looking at it very closely. So we're going to have a close look at it, see what we're looking at. We're also going to look at this. A lot of people don't realize the CIA um, appears to have put up a candidate for president. Uh, He's running in Utah as an independent. It's a former CIA operative named Evan McMullen, who is uh, marketing himself as an independent conservative. um, And he's polling really well. He could steal the state from Donald Trump, and that would effectively, that could be the margin Hillary Clinton needs uh, to get in. Now, why is that strange, or what's the connection there? Well, this CIA agent or operative is also ex-Goldman Sachs, and Goldman Sachs is one of the big donors to the Clinton campaign and the Clinton Global Initiative. Uh, And this guy, I believe, is also being backed by Mitt Romney, and Mitt Romney is also a big recipient of Goldman Sachs campaign contributions, and has an interesting investment relationship with Goldman Sachs, too, the main beneficiary of the banker bailout in 2008. We're going to look at that and uh, a few other things as well. But we're also, we're also going to talk about uh, the accusation about the Clinton campaign, Hillary Clinton herself, accusing Russia of basically running the WikiLeaks email hack. And everybody's repeating it on the media. Uh, It's incredible. Uh, No evidence has been presented. We might even do a special show just on this subject. In fact, I think we will. uh, Maybe, hopefully, after the Sunday Wire this weekend. Just on the Russian hack. And let's look at what's really there, if there's anything there. And debunk it, if we need to. We might even do it on air on the Sunday Wire. But um, So we're going to look at that. We're going to look inside. We've got some uh, media coverage and... With regards to the Mosul raid, which is completely stage managed, and also Raqqa uh, in Syria. So the U.S. have got their dirty little paws uh, in Syria, and uh, I don't think anything good's going to come out of that, not for the Syrian people anyway. Uh, so we're going to look at that too, and we're going to ba- break down the whole syndicate of corruption in, in, in its detail and put it into perspective so people know exactly, uh, exactly what you're looking at. We're going to do that in detail. Uh, in this second part of this show. Now, this is the first 30 minutes. This is uh, free. Uh, please share it. Please like it on social media. We're glad if you do. If you like it and you really want to see the rest, join us on the other side, uh, which will be for subscribers and members at 21wire.tv. Uh, lots of benefits for members. You can go check out 21wire.tv. Just click on it right now and see what you need to do to join up. We'd love to have you. And so we'll see you on the other side. I'm Patrick Henningsen. This is On the QT.
Tune in Sundays at noon Eastern Time or 9 a.m. Pacific Time for the Sunday Wire for three hours of action-packed talk radio on 21stCenturyWire.com and AlternateCurrentRadio.com. This is Patrick Henningsen, and you're listening to On the QT at 21wire.tv. Accessing confidential data. Welcome to On the QT at 21wire.tv. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. Thank you for joining us. If you're listening now, you are a member, a subscriber to 21wire.tv. And once again, I want to thank all our new members this week and everybody else who's joined and who is a subscriber. If you're on the team, we really appreciate your support. And I thank you for joining us again for this episode. This is kind of an important discussion. Uh, and, you know, we don't get as... Uh, loud and uh, flamboyant on this program for our members and as we do on the Sunday Wire because uh, that's a little more energized uh, in terms of uh, you know being a live show and going out globally uh, live uh, totally unscripted and unedited but um, this is something a little different we have a chance here no commercial breaks uh, no breaks during the discussion to really kind of get down into the details of what we're talking about what we're looking at so we're looking at no, the, the, we're going we're to talk about some of the issues surrounding the U.S. election. And just to put it into perspective for many people who might be listening from outside the United States to get a better look at what's going on in the U.S. And uh, it's, a, it's a divisive contest. And uh, more than any other election, this country has uh, been split in two, uh, definitely by these two polarizing candidates um, that have very unfavorable ratings on both sides. Uh, a lot of Democrats have fled the party um, to support obscure third and fourth party candidates like Jill Stein and the Green Party, and they've done so. We've re- covered that at 21st Century Wire. There's a great interview by Stuart Hooper, an ex-Bernie delegate, believe it or not, basically saying how Bernie Sanders betrayed millions of his supporters, um, and it seems to have gone through the motions the whole time. He was in, he was in it for Hillary Clinton for the entire time. And it was just a big act, uh, and some people are really disheartened by that. So he betrayed millions of grassroots supporters, uh, and to support a candidate who has been proven, uh, the Democratic National Convention screwed Bernie Sanders. They absolutely railroaded him during the primaries, his own party, and this was all leaked. And of course, this is why they're blaming the Russians, the Democrats, because they 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 can't deny any of the contents of any of these leaks and it shows total corruption within their own party and they've rigged they've rigged their own party during the primary process so what are they doing blaming the russians it's as simple as that folks don't think for a second uh that there's a shred of truth in any of any of the stuff that's being claimed by the likes of cnn and uh stuff that's being run in the washington post um, as I've said many times, and I've said so, you know, on, on national TV, uh, the United States has plenty of hackers and leakers within the U.S. They don't need Russia uh, to do any of that. There's plenty of people doing that, and there always has been. 
between parties, disgruntled people within parties, agents of influence embedded in opposition parties. Listen, it all happens here in the U.S. And they think that Putin's going to be uh, trying to rig the U.S. elections. Give me a break. You know, it's quite frankly, Russia's not stupid. They know no matter who wins, no matter who wins, the same people are going to be in the Pentagon, basically. And the Department of Defense, this person you have now is the DOD uh, Defense Secretary Ashton Carter, who's basically a lobbyist for the U.S. defense industry. They take they took a lobbyist who basically sells missiles and fighters and bombers, and they stuck him and made him defense secretary. That's how stupid uh, our so-called free democratic system is in the United States. They stuck a lobbyist in as the head of the DOD. Can you believe it? So what's his priority? Well, it's selling missiles and guns and promoting war, and it's basically what he's been doing. So it's a joke, you know. So they, they talk about the free world, leader, the U.S. presence, leader of the free world. You know, that that is a complete line of you-know-what, okay? There's nothing free about this part of the world. Uh, yeah, we have some freedoms in relation to other countries, but in terms of how our government system works, uh, it's totally gamed uh, by very powerful corporations, um, especially in the defense industry and also more so in the tech industry now. The Silicon Valley seems to be working for the Democratic Party and generally the Republican Party is the party of the military. But now the, the Democrats have learned how to cash in on the military as well. And uh, they're doing a very good job of it, especially under this president who's had more wars going even than President Bush and uh, in total more troops deployed, I think, in total um, during his presidency or more military actions than even George Bush if you can believe that. So this is important. These are important things. So anyway, we're getting back to the issue. One of the big issues is Obamacare. I'm not going to bore anybody with it, but I do have a great story here from, uh, from Zero Hedge. And uh, <laughs> this is uh, the headline is, your dog probably has better health care than you do. Now, some of you are laughing. Oh, <laughs> that's a joke, isn't it? Um, this, this, this is anything but a joke. Okay. So here's by the author. This is posted by, uh, Tyler Durden, of course, the great nom de plume of, uh, zero hedge who knows who it is. So here's the story. I had to run to the emergency room today for what may be a neurological issue, some dizziness, staggering, loss of balance, that kind of thing. Uh, I'm in San Diego and it's one of the most expensive cities in the world. And to top it off, I have no insurance. So I figured I was screwed. But instead, the experience was unreal. Uh, I got seen immediately. Uh, I didn't have to sit down. Uh, waiting time was nothing. They brought me straight to an examination room. The doctor and a nurse, a real doctor and a nurse, uh, were on it. And uh, they took their time and the exam and the consultation. It was great. No rush. And the visit ultimately involved staying the whole day. Uh, for observation, full battery of tests, sedation, uh, and reversal, reverse blood pressure check, and full blood panel work. Uh, results available the next day. Fantastic. And uh, having both ears cleaned and flushed. Fantastic. Total bill, $374, which if you're familiar with the U.S. cost of uh, medical care here in the U.S., that's a bargain, okay? Everything he mentioned there, usually looking and you're probably upwards of a grand. If you're lucky, okay? 
And so he says, do I have some insane health insurance? And no. Uh, am I being super subsidized by the rest of America, a la Obamacare? No. Am I a privileged politician with a special bosses-only health care plan? Uh, don't make me laugh, he says. It turns out the care was actually for my dog, not me. Okay, And we didn't go to a people hospital. Obviously, took my dog to an animal hospital. Interesting. And uh, she and I, the dog is a she, I guess. Uh, she and I are both uh, biological machines, mammals, mostly made of water, 96%, 92%, uh, though she sheds more than I do. And uh, only the only other real difference is that the government is regulating the hell out of health care for people and leaving health care for animals alone. This is interesting, and he's got a very good point here. <laughs> he has a good point here. Just because one's a dog and one's a human, the care is identical. The amount of uh, the amount involved is identical, and the costs should be the same. But in fact, they're they're completely inflated on the human side. So they've healthcare providers uh, have gamed the system. And insurance companies have also gamed the system thanks to President Obama. He gave them a green light, basically, to game the system. And we said that when Obamacare was first going back in 2009. We said the health insurance, the insurance companies, the three main companies wrote the legislation. No one listened. No one believed that. There was all, you know, worshiping uh, President Obama still, still enthralled with the celebrity spectacle of it all. Uh, and of course, we said it was going to be a failure. And of course, it is a complete failure. Uh, premiums have gone up. Deductibles have gone up. I mean, it's costing some people, I know, family, uh, family of four, I saw recently costing them something almost uh, $40,000 a year. Or it's a family of five, sorry. Um, ridiculous costs. Um, why? Why, why, why? It's not exactly a good deal. So you're better off if you're a dog or a cat. In fact, they sell insurance for pets, and actually the deals are, are very good. Um, I, I recommend it. If you've got a, a, a pet who's got chronic uh, illness and so forth, you can get a really good insurance package. But if you're a human, no chance. doesn't matter if it's a Democratic president or Republican president. They, can't, they have to address the hyperinflation within the medical industry. Okay, there's many reasons for this. Um, some people will blame the cost of medical school, the fact that they have to pay these doctors, uh, you know, incredible salaries uh, in order to pay off their loans, and the system sort of geared in that way. Um, there's many other explanations for it, but in in fact, uh, everyone's gamed the system, and the person who's end up carrying the weight of that cost is the end user. It's the person. It's you and me. Basically, if you're in the United States, you know what we're talking about. Uh, if you're in Europe and you're under social uh, health care, national health insurance or NHS in uh, Britain, then none of this is going to make any sense to you. Uh, but this is the way it is uh, here in the land of the free and the home of the brave. Okay, I'm not saying which system is better, but I can tell you it's definitely better if you don't have to pay out $500 uh, a month for the uh, just betting that you will or won't get sick 
uh, by buying insurance. And even if you own that insurance, you still have to pay the bill when you go into the hospital until your annual payments uh, exceed five or $6,000. Then the insurance company will kick in and start paying for stuff. That's how our system works. You think that's really good? I don't think it's very good. But um, this is a big issue. And uh, this was the great achievement of Barack Obama was Obamacare, we're told. Uh, but as it's collapsing now this week, and the costs and are being reported is definitely going to be raises in premiums, everyone's paying more. Uh, it's not exactly uh, what it was sold as um, originally. So Hillary Clinton wants to uh, revamp that and turn it into a universal health care. How, how do you expect to pay for that in the United States? In this United States of America, uh, those companies, they've allowed them to inflate and get so powerful. Um, people, people uh, Providers providing everything from a hospital beds to hospitals to MRI machines to x-rays to simple medical supplies. Uh, everybody is in a kind of a military economy. Uh, you remember the story of the military where the hammer costs 5000 and the screwdriver costs $1,000 uh, because this is the procurement system is so out of control because they know at the end of the day that the government will be at some point picking up most of the bill. So they jack up the price. Same with student loans and universities. They know the students are going to get student loans, so they jack up the price of tuition. It's as simple as that, folks. And that's that's also the case in Britain. But anyway, you'd think they'd be talking and debating this stuff, but they're not. They're talking about Donald Trump's latest tryst uh, with some woman or apparently that may or may not have happened on an airplane 20 years ago. And that dominates all of CNN's news coverage. So now we're getting into the foreign policy part. This is where things get really scary. Senator Tim Kaine, this is Hillary Clinton's running mate. This is Senator Tim Kaine, um, who to me looks like, he looks like just any old Irish guy that you'd see in a pub with those kind of rosy cheeks, um, looks like a drinker. Don't know if he is. My guess is that he is. Uh, Tim Kaine, Democratic vice presidential candidate, uh, Jesuit, Catholic, um, yeah, radical left-wing Catholic, uh, etc. So what does he say? In an interview on Monday, he said, uh, if elected, Hillary Clinton will quickly ask Congress for fresh legal authority to make war on uh, so-called Islamic State terrorist groups around the world. So a new declaration of war or changing the rules of how to declare war to make it easier. Uh, Hillary has said that something that she wants to do very early in her administration, says Tim Kaine, says Mr. Magoo from Virginia, the senator. So, and he does look a lot like Mr. Magoo. I know some people say he looks a lot like the Joker, but I put him side by side with some headshots of Mr. Magoo, and I don't see any difference. So I'm going to go for Magoo. So he's made an interview here. This is on the uh, Axe Files. Oh, my God. Hosted by uh, former Obama campaign architect David Axelrod. So you can see the revolving door between the media and uh, politics. That's not very nice. So Tim Kaine said the former Secretary of State will press lawmakers uh, to rewrite the September 14, 2001 uh, authorization for the use of military force which is basically a runaround of having to declare war. To set the stage for the invasion, 
That set the stage anyway in 2001 for the invasion of Afghanistan and the occupation and under, underpins the entire U.S. Uh, war on terror, so to speak. And so Obama has also invoked Nobel Peace Prize winning Barack Obama has also invoked this shady authorization of military force uh, during his presidency. Uh, and so it's an undeclared war of aggression is what it is. Um, is what the U.S. is doing and putting. The reason why the, the establishment needs lawyers, if you look at the last three, the last four pre, uh, presidents or two of the last three, maybe three last four if Hillary gets in, they're all lawyers. Bill Clinton, lawyer. Obama, lawyer. Tim Kaine, lawyer. They're all lawyers. What are lawyers good at? Uh, they're good at twisting and contorting reality and language to make the completely illegal or meant to make organized crime racketeering syndicates seem plausible and legal. This is what lawyers exceed at. And if you want to lie your way into a war, you need a good lawyer. Tony Blair is a great lawyer. So what does he, he, he can do? He can spin things uh, in ways that the average person can't possibly understand. This is what lawyers excel at. That's why they get paid a lot of money, because the only people who understand their cryptic language are themselves. Uh, so Clinton believes that it's time for us to take an outdated authorization and really think think about uh, what we are confronting and work together to stop uh, terrorism. Sounds good, doesn't it? doesn't inspire a lot of confidence, actually. But that is what we've got. So let's look, uh, let's look at this for a second here. Um, let's look at Hillary for a minute. She's blaming Russia. Blaming Russia for the hack. During the presidential debates, Hillary Clinton has once again accused Russia of hacking the Democratic Party's data and handing it over to WikiLeaks. Russian government has engaged in espionage against Americans. They have hacked American uh, websites, American accounts of private people, of institutions. Then they have given that information to WikiLeaks for the purpose of putting it on the internet. This has come from the highest levels of the Russian government, clearly from Putin. And okay, so there, there, there that, that's pretty much the dominant talking point, believe it or not, in the United States is basically that uh, blaming absolutely anything and everything on Russia. And uh, so th this is worrying for two reasons. Um, it's worrying because um, the situation in Syria is so tense uh, right now that anything potentially could go wrong. And if you look at history, uh, the world in terms of the alliances, if we're going to blame NATO in this case, uh, is just the sort of dangerous alliance that caused World War I to happen uh, in the world that's dominated by power politics. So I'm taking a very general view of this, of course, um, and we don't have time to get into the idiosyncrasies of, of World War I, pre-World War I power politics and alliances, but suffice to say, um, there are some similarities, and uh, many other people agree with me on that. Now, one person who's written an interesting article recently, and uh, you, some people uh, may or may not agree with this uh, analysis, but this is by Dr. Paul Craig Roberts. And uh, the I believe by cooperating with Washington on Syria, Russia walked into a trap, says Dr. Paul Craig Roberts. And so he's saying a month ago, he wrote a column called, He Who Hesitates is Lost, and Russia Hesitated. 
I think what he is talking about here is the ability, uh, the U.S. Is, and now has the ability to basically get in and steal a piece of northern Syria um, using Raqqa and using ISIS as the pretext. And um, so it's, you know, a lot of people are going to try to second guess Russia and have they made the right moves, have they made the wrong moves. Let me just tell you, full stop, that it's difficult all the way around. You know, any one move you can make, there's counter moves on the other side that will be made. It's not always, uh, there's not always a path to winning or a path to success, especially in these incredibly complex situations like Syria with so many people piling in. Okay, so it's, it's, it's also a case of trial and error in some cases, and that error might be a fatal error, and that might be, that might very well be the case uh, with Russia or the Syrian nation state, but uh, we don't know for sure, and these things might not be judged immediately, but maybe decades later. And so uh, Robert's saying a UN report orchestrated by Washington, which accused uh, Syria and Russia of war crimes in Aleppo, this is the big talking point this week, according to the report, indiscriminate airstrikes across the eastern part of the city of Aleppo by government forces and their allies are responsible for an overwhelming majority of civilian casualties. That is absolutely debatable, uh, seeing that the UN and the United States in particular and Britain and France ignore anything in West Aleppo and the fact that we've reported on this show uh, by our guests on the ground, Tom Duggan, uh, not this show but the Sunday Wire, but uh, Tom Duggan, Vanessa Bealey, who spoke to many people um, who have said the so-called rebels, which are really terrorists, and al-Nusra front and Arao Sham, etc., in the east part of the city are indiscriminately uh, hitting civilians and targeting just randomly anybody, snipers even, uh, targeting children uh, in government-protected West Aleppo. And so they're calling the Russian and Syrian effort to retake East Aleppo as a war crime. Of course, uh, this doesn't really have any credibility, but you know, very little coming out of Washington or the mouths of John Kerry from out the power has any credibility. But that's another a story which we've covered uh, in depth before. Uh, but so this would be, according to them, if systematic uh, if systematic attacks directed against civilians they constitute uh, crimes against humanity. Well, this is what the U.S.-backed rebels are doing. That's proven actually. Um, and they're actually using the civilians as human shields. So it's not exactly an easy thing to navigate in terms of ethics and morals, is it? This is the problem with war. Okay. Uh, and this is the problem with this conversation. Uh, there seems to be an aversion to details and reality uh, by the U.S.-led uh, effort, uh, propaganda effort, I'll call it, uh, with regards to the Syrian agenda. And so the U.N. Human Rights Council has now voted to start an independent investigation. I say independent, it's in quotes here, because uh, we know that won't be independent. They want to kick Russia off of the UN Human Rights Council. So this is now further isolating Russia through the so-called international community. Uh, and they want to drag Russia into the International Criminal Court. Fat chance. But uh, it's, what's interesting is that Saudi Arabia bought its place at the head of the Human Rights Council, uh, hu huge bribery, indirect bribe anyway, or in-kind bribe, checks were written out, and Saudi Arabia suddenly became the head, believe it or not, no pun intended when we say head of the Human Rights Council of the United Nations. 
So, and they did have a record number of beheadings uh, since the new king came into the uh, kingdom of Saudi Arabia. King Salman uh, has been busy chopping off heads, uh, has outpaced all his predecessors uh, in the first year of his reign. So great job there. So maybe they do have some credentials to be at the head of the UN Human Rights Council. That's Saudi Arabia. The wonderful, despotic, uh, feudal theocracy uh, drenched in oil. Uh, It's quite extraordinary how they're allowed to uh, run roughshod over everybody and everything including Yemen, and they're given the head of the Human Rights Council. So there is nothing legitimate anymore about the United Nations, and it's become a League of Nations. And this is because of uh, feckless, weak, uh, ineffectual uh, leadership by U.S. puppets like uh, Ban Ki-moon from South Korea and uh, everyone else who's on the payroll there, basically. It's a great job if you can get it. So that's what's going on. So this is the effort. So so Hillary Clinton is really completely on board with all of this uh, sort of madness. And that's the important part uh, that we want to bring there. So Russia's not going to be dragged into that very easily, obviously, but that's not going to stop the U.S. from trying. Um, but, you know, Russia's, Russia's in a difficult spot because they're under attack uh, in the media, uh, they can't do anything without it being spun or uh, being changed or altered, or they're even being blamed for the U.S. elections, of course. So one lie built on top of another. So clearly, who's, who is Nazi Germany in this modern-day scenario? Who's playing the role of Hitler and the Nazis? Well, it seems to be Washington, the United States. They've usurped, they've, they've inherited the karma of, uh, of Nazis. Of, of Germany. They're behaving exactly as Germany behaved and they're doing exactly to the UN what what some of those, those European powers did to the League of Nations at the time to render it completely impotent and of course uh, accelerate its demise. So this is what you will expect. You know what you're going to get with the Hillary Clinton presidency. Um, you're definitely going to be getting some of this. It even gets worse. So Tim Kaine says Hillary Clinton wants to rewrite the War Powers Act effectively, the authorization of military force to make it easier to declare war on U.S.-backed terrorists like ISIS. Uh, So they have full control, uh, full-spectrum dominance over the chessboard there. They back the opposition, plus they can declare war on the opposition. So Clinton's no-fly zone over Syria uh, will not save lives, says, uh, well, will lead to war with Russia. This is a warning by Joint, Joint Chiefs Chairman General Dunford. This is an article by... Michelle Chofidovsky, Professor Michelle uh, Chofidovsky at globalresearch.ca. And uh, this is good. And we'll have Michelle on the Sunday Wire, hopefully, as a guest this Sunday. He's never been on before. That should be exciting. And uh, so the, the media has failed to address the confrontation between the U.S. State Department and the U.S. Joint Chiefs of Staff. The chairman of the U.S. Joint Chiefs, General Joseph Francis Dumford has warned that both the U.S. Senate as well as Secretary of State Kerry in no uncertain terms that a no-fly zone over Syria would lead to war with both Syria and Russia, both, um, intimating a dangerous process of uh, military escalation. 
so says the Joint Chiefs. This is not being covered in the U.S. media, who are uh, instead obsessed with uh, uh, things that women have said Donald Trump did to them on an airplane uh, 30 years ago. So in the Senate Armed Services Committee, Dumford uh, is responding to questions by Roger Wicker. This is uh, Senator, Republican Senator from Mississippi. So right now, Senator, for us to control all of the airspace in Syria, it would require us to go to war against Syria and Russia, even part of the airspace, and caveats. That's a pretty fundamental decision that certainly I'm not going to make. Senate Armed Services Committee, September 22nd, emphasis added. Now, this is the Joint Chief saying he doesn't want to go there. And then we have Hillary Clinton saying she's ready to go there. Do, you, do we see a problem here? Okay. Uh, I, so I have one. So what I see is one presidential candidate who is basically lying about Russia, blaming Russia for all of their her scandals that have been leaked onto WikiLeaks, probably by someone in the Democratic Party. Um, and once a no-fly zone, effectively that's a, a de facto war. That, that, that is World War III proper. And then you have the other presidential candidate that wants to have good relations with Russia. Okay, so, you, so the public has been brainwashed to think that Donald Trump is a, a fascist, he's the next Hitler, etc. And the great deception here, I believe, is quite profound. It's very possible that it's the other way around. In other words, the public have been so successfully brainwashed by CNN, by the by the BBC, just this is the biggest full court press in political history in the United States, the biggest dogpile ever. And so one of them is saying everything that's leading to World War III, the other's not. And the media is demonizing the one that's not. So I guess the media wants World War III. So I haven't heard anything nice coming out of Hillary Clinton's mouth. Uh, she's wanting to act tough, look tough. I think she's overcompensating personally. So... At the third presidential debate, Hillary Clinton asserted her commitment that if elected president, she would implement a no-fly zone, intimating the objective would save lives. How many times have we heard that before? Save lives. Oh, we'll do it. It's going to save lives. We're going to do it for the children. We're going to save the children. We're going to save 100,000 children in Aleppo. We're going to save the children of Aleppo. Everywhere in this is a lie. So even the French president can't get his story straight. Francois Hollande went on world TV and told a big fat lie about Aleppo. This is one of Hillary's great uh, uh, allies, by the way. Francois Hollande, the uh, Napoleon with glasses in drag. Listen to... Well, as uh, Peter mentioned there, French President Francois Hollande has strongly denounced Russian and Syrian actions in Aleppo, saying that the war on terror cannot be used as a justification for bombing the city. It's impossible to confound anymore. There are terrorists. At what level? One, two, three thousand. Aleppo has a population of over 300,000 people who live there. And there should not be any question of bombarding this city on a pretext that there are terrorists. However, the French president does seem to have inaccurate figures because there are 
um, many more civilians in Aleppo than he actually suggests. According to the UN, there are one and a half million people living in the west of the city. And as you can see from this map here, almost 300,000 are living in the eastern part. But Francois Hollande went further, making a comparison between the situation in Aleppo and the Iraqi city of Mosul held by Islamic State terrorists. I'll give you an example of Mosul in Iraq. It's a city held by ISIL. We've bombed ISIL infrastructure there. So, so that's there. the French president completely clueless, lying to the public, or he's just so stupid he doesn't know, know the facts, and these people are in charge of launching military strikes. Can you believe it? So uh, the, then the whole, the whole trick of the U.S., the U.K., and the French media effort is to make it seem like the whole city of Aleppo is under siege. And what they're doing is ignoring anything that's under government control or people that are under government protection and making it sound like a Syrian army in Russia just sieging a city randomly, killing civilians intentionally, bombing hospitals. They've even said they're bombing refugee camps. Uh, Samantha Power even said that. So total lies. And uh, this is the level that it's come to, unfortunately. Uh, so... This is sad, but yet, and so this is this is the narrative that Hillary Clinton is also on board with, and that's kind of scary. So she says a, a no-fly zone will save lives, so and it could hasten the end of the conflict. Um, now, <laughs> if you understand doublespeak, uh, it will extend the conflict. Okay, absolutely. So if the U.S. stopped arming uh, and backing and giving political cover to these terrorists they call rebels. Is this could be over in a matter of months. So I'm well aware of the many really legitimate concerns that you've expressed from both the president and the general, Clinton said, in response to the question from Chris Wallace, moderator. This would not be done just on the first day. Uh, this would take a lot of negotiations and would also making it clear to the Russians and the Syrians that our purpose here is to provide safe zones on the ground. I think we could strike a deal and make it clear to the Russians and the Syrians that this was something that we believe uh, was in the best interest of the people on the ground in Syria, says Hillary Clinton. If you think that's annoying, get ready. If she's elected, you're going to get four years of that annoying voice. Um, Personally, a lot of people won't be able to take it. It'll be like Scanners. Have you ever seen that movie, Scanners? Well, the heads explode. That's what uh, people will be like. The whole country's going to explode after a year of listening to Hillary Clinton. Um, she does have a very annoying voice, unfortunately. I think she's tone deaf, so maybe it's not her fault. Uh, so at present, under the Obama administration, Joint Chiefs are opposed, I repeat, opposed to a no-fly zone. And the political hacks and the people that uh, take money from Saudi Arabia and take money from Goldman Sachs to give 30-minute speeches and who've pocketed hundreds of millions of dollars on the back of their public service, they're calling for a no-fly zone, you see. But the Joint Chiefs of Staff say no way. So we have a problem here. What happens if this president wants to be a dictator? She seems to want more war, way more than Donald Trump ever desires to have any war uh, against a nation-state. Uh, oh, clearly, Trump doesn't like uh, ISIS, doesn't like terrorists, but uh, Hillary doesn't like anybody. So under the Clinton presidency, the new Secretary of Defense uh, and Joint Chiefs of Staff uh, firmly committed to a no-fly zone if appointed. Who's going to be her Secretary of Defense? Well, enter stage left. Michelle Angelique uh, Flournoy. Okay. 
This is the former Undersecretary of Defense for Policy, uh, is Hillary's choice, probably number one choice for the position of Secretary of Defense. So this is a female war hawk who favors the no-fly zone option. So they're either very naive or they're very vindictive and very devious because we all know what a no-fly zone is. Well, Hillary would know because she's one of the people that was the architect of the Libyan no-fly zone policy. And that ended really well, didn't it, Miss Clinton? So here's Michelle. Here's Michelle Flournoy. Nice French name. Hillary's first Secretary of Defense choice. Wow. So, and uh, we would send American boots to fight Islamic State in the region or whatever. I don't know, sure what they mean. So, confirmed leaked emails. Flournoy is a crony of the Clintons. And she's calling for limited military coercion uh, to help remove Assad from power. That's regime change. This is Hillary's sec- top pick. So f- women can make war, ladies and gentlemen, just as good as men can, even better, in fact, uh, because they have this kind of, they might have some more extra cover, as it were. Uh, definitely left-wing cover. So including a no-bombing no bombing zone. So no fly zone. That's that. That is completely a lie. A no fly zone imposed by the West will always be a bombing zone by the West. Okay. So they're saying over parts of Syria. So what what business does the U.S. establishing no fly zones over a sovereign country of Syria while the U.S. is financing and arming the so-called extremists, rebels, who are terrorists on the ground in, in that country? What business do you have dictating a no-fly zone? I think this is going to be roundly rejected by many people. Okay, so this is according to Defense One. Flournay, one of several several colleagues at the Center for Oh, this is another great think tank, the Center for New American Security. Oh my goodness, look that one up. See who else is on the board there. Have making a case for sending more American troops into combat against ISIS and the and the Assad regime. Why? Why? Why is the U.S. fighting the Assad regime? What has Syria done to the U.S.? Nothing. Okay. And then the Obama administration has been willing to commit, hasn't been willing to commit, but we will, says the women of war. The women of war. That'll be the title of one show coming up one Sunday. I can't believe I'm reading this. In fact, I can't read any more of this. This is really terrible. Wow. 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 Unbelievable. Just to prove to you what the agenda is for the U.S., uh, it's already in play. So there's a fake raid on Mosul now. Uh, ISIS fighters are being transferred to Raqqa to reinforcements there. Uh, And then any of the important people, the U.S. operatives, the CIA people working with ISIS or the Mossad or whoever, they'll all be basically cutting and running at some point going to their five-star hotels in Istanbul or wherever they hang out in Jordan, I'm not sure, Dubai, uh, hang out with Richard Clark, who knows where they're going, but they won't be around for the action. Uh, so they leave the dupes in and extend this sort of fake uh, ISIS war a little bit longer. This is the uh, CNN, I believe. Uh, this is the Pentagon's news network. So there's a joint command guy uh, talking here and narrating as Barbara Starr. She's a, basically a Pentagon embed in CNN, and she runs propaganda for the Pentagon and masquerades as a Pentagon correspondent. And so they'll cut in. You'll hear a U.S. Uh, 
guy here who just is trying to make some story up that they the U.S. special forces thwarted some ISIS plot to attack America. Believe it or not, it's right here, right here on the uh, world news. West believes terrorists are plotting to attack the U.S. and the Pentagon is trying to stop it. There's, um, I think, a sense of urgency about what we have to do here because we're just not sure um, what they're up to and where and when. But we know that um, this uh, plot planning is emanating from Raqqa. CNN has learned that U.S. Special Operations Forces recently attacked an ISIS target inside Syria. The U.S. believes the raid stopped plotters planning to attack the U.S., an administration official says. We know we need um, uh, to remove Daesh from Raqqa. There are 2,000 to 3,000 ISIS fighters in and around Raqqa, ISIS's self-declared capital, according to U.S. military officials. Nobody knows how many other supporters exist among the population. Within the next few weeks, the U.S. plans, along with Kurdish and Arab partners, to try to begin to isolate the city. Local ground forces backed up by U.S. military advisors will be put on roads in and out of Raqqa trying to stop the flow of ISIS operatives. The U.S. will fly aircraft overhead, ready to strike when targets are identified. The fight for Raqqa will begin, even as the fight to retake Mosul in Iraq grows more brutal. CNN producer Tim Lister is in northern Iraq. From the secret phone calls, the text messages, the first-hand accounts of escapees that we're getting, a picture is beginning to emerge, and it's one of increased defensive preparedness by ISIS with booby-trapped bombs scattered across whole neighborhoods, with vehicle suicide bombs being moved to the outskirts, but also apparently a preparedness by ISIS to escape. People trapped in the city are trying to fight ISIS, but as many as 600 have been rounded up. The risk for anyone caught with a cell phone in Mosul is enormous. Summary execution most of the time, but still they try to get word out to the outside world. And tonight, U.S. officials are estimating that upwards of 900 ISIS operatives have been killed so far in that operation against Mosul, Iraq. Wolf? Oh, so there's, uh, there's Barbara Starr from CNN uh, with uh, Wolf Blitzkrieg uh, there. And this, so the, notice the timing of this. They've been sitting on this Mosul, second biggest city in Iraq, uh, occupied by ISIS, we're told. Uh, and they've been waiting to retake it now for, what, a year, year and a half. And uh, finally they wait uh, two weeks before the U.S. election. Does anybody, alarm bells going off right now, stage managed? This is a wag the dog situation. Yeah, there's real fighting going on. There's, there's horrible things going on the ground. But sitting on their ass and waiting for the election in order to make their move. And then they want to do a double, basically. So they want to go from Mosul and then go straight to Raqqa. And this is Obama's way of saying, just like they put bin Laden on ice, uh, and then all of a sudden, because President Obama needed some war credentials in 2011, he was polling, uh, he wasn't polling great against Mitt Romney, and he needed an edge and some national security confidence. So the whole bin Laden raid thing was a whole basically staged production to help get President Obama reelected in 2011. That's very well documented, by the way. Uh, 
despite the political rhetoric. And so Hillary Clinton's also trading on this in her campaign, saying that she she came up with the idea to get bin Laden when she was Secretary of State. We want to uh, want us to believe that. So this is just these people will say absolutely anything, and that there's no end to the manipulation with these people. Okay, so there they are, uh, wanting to show, yeah, we're winning the war against ISIS and stick with the Democrats, and I'll do, I'll continue Barack Obama's great work. Uh, as a warmonger, uh, Hillary Clinton. So this is the whole stage-managed thing that you're witnessing now. And so demonize Russia, kick Russia off the UN Human Rights Council, blame Russia for the email hacks. So everything is completely smoke and mirrors. You know, we're getting completely... Uh, it, it. Where does it... There, there is no end to it, actually. There's no... where Hillary Clinton will even go and invoke... She, in fact, she invoked global warming uh, when she was giving us this speech at a rally. I believe it was in uh, Florida a couple of days ago. Hillary Clinton says, uh, "Oh, and you know, and we need to." He's scaring the Florida residents. She's warning them that that she they need to elect her because Florida is in danger of basically submerging into the ocean because of climate change. Now you're probably saying, "Oh, Pat, you're exaggerating." Let me tell you how wacky and how what lunatics these people truly are. Listen to this. This is right off of the campaign. This is fresh off Hillary's campaign. And people say, why are you picking on Hillary? Listen, you can't get better entertainment than this, but it's kind of more of a horror show than it is entertainment. But you just can't get better material than this. This is really amazing in terms of the propaganda value. Listen to, listen to Clinton. But we're also going to make America the clean energy superpower of the 21st century. I know we can create millions of jobs and we can protect Florida, especially coastal Florida, and we can protect our planet at the same time. You know, you're already seeing the results of climate change here in Florida. You know, I was just in Miami and they actually have flooding on sunny days with no rain People are calling 311 because they think a water main broke, but it's the oceans rising. In certain areas of South Florida so along the East Coast, that is indeed the case. She mentioned the voting trends. Okay, so <laughs> sea levels are rising in Florida, really. So I did a little bit of uh, data check. There's a lot of rhetoric online if you look at Florida sea level rise. They're giving out grants like, uh, like Sweeties. If you're doing any research on sea level rising for global warming uh, in Florida, uh, you'll get a lot of money, basically. So the, the problem with this is, you know, they talk about climate change. And, you know, first it was global warming, okay? Then it couldn't be proven that the temperature is warming up, uh, at least in the last few years when they really kicked in this PR campaign after the Al Gore film came out and so forth. So they rebranded man-made global warming uh, or man-made CO2 causing global warming under the general banner of global warming. That was rebranded quickly uh, in probably in about 2009. That became, or 2008, this became climate change. So they rebranded it to climate change to make it more general so that any weather or any shift or any change in the weather, even if it's a normal hurricane or tornado, because by the way, this is normal, um, they, they, call, they would call it climate change. So even if it, it was the coldest winter on record, which it was 
at least in the U.S., uh, quite a few winters, I think 2010 and maybe 2011, record-breaking winters. So they would say, oh, this is because of climate change. So they, they dis- discarded global warming, changed it to climate change, and it's been rebranded again. If you've been paying attention, they call it extreme weather. Okay, so this could be anything. Like it could rain one day or it could be hot one summer. So, you know, the point is it's very easy to, ch- to cherry pick uh, with these new, term- these new general terminologies. You can cherry pick anything and say it's a crisis. And then politicians love these sort of things because they can latch on to them and then use them to scare people to, into getting them elected or getting them to fork over more money or pay more tax, which is really what I think the, the whole carbon market, CO2 market was about. Al Gore made a fortune out of that, by the way. Um, he's cashed out already. Actually, the carbon market collapsed, but Gore cashed out. Him and his partner made $500 million or something like that before the Chicago climate exchange collapsed. How do I know all this? Because that's one of the, I covered this. I traveled around the world covering the whole climate thing. And what I found in my investigations, talking to scientists, I spoke to Nobel Prize winning sea level experts, and they told me this is a complete sham. Okay, so this is where I get my background from this from. A lot of people don't know that, but if you did follow us in the very early days, you'll know that I was at the Copenhagen UN Climate Summit and uh, we helped break quite a few important stories uh, from that event, along with many other real journalists. Um, but I was just I was just getting started at the beginning. And uh, so I know a lot about that, some checking. And uh, the sea levels have been rising since 1870 in Florida uh, at about an average rate of 2.2 millimeters um, per not per year, I think it's per month, I'm not sure, per year. Gosh, let me get my figures right here. But um, but anyway, we you know, so we, we checked it out, and uh, okay, here we go. Uh, so the rise over the next 100 years, according to the last uh, 140 years, 45 years of data, is somewhere between 0.33 and 1.3 uh, meters. Okay, so that could be 33 centimeters or... 133 centimeters over the next 100 years. Okay, so there's so Hillary's saying that it's just flooding going on because of climate change, and this is completely uh, ridiculous. Okay, so again, we're so I think it's eight inches. It's uh, gone up eight inches since 1870. 2.2 millimeters per year, actually. Yeah, and not much change in variation there. And here's the problem. Jill Stein did this, by the way, from the Green Party. She fudged, did some cherry picking, and she said the same sort of thing, that uh, it's going to be many yards of sea, this floor is going to be underwater. And this was basically debunked by a number of people. She said this on NPR. Of course, NPR loves that. But um, but they, they don't take into account, this is a very complex science um, when you get out of the realms of politics, and they don't count the sort of oscillation, natural oscillations of sea levels. And uh, so you need a big time window to really analyze this stuff. You can't just do it and cherry pick things that happened this week, which is what the politicians do, which is why I don't trust them. Okay, so that's what's going on there. So who's Evan McMullen? Uh, This is former CIA officer, former Goldman Sachs, supposedly a columnist, backed by Mitt Romney, I'm sure, running as an independent to steal Donald Trump's electoral votes in Utah. Hillary Clinton is also connected to Goldman Sachs. Listen to Evan McMullen here. 
Here he is on the uh, one of the news programs. Let me ask you about security. Uh, you're a former CIA guy. One of the questions last night, one of the sections was talking about cyber, uh, cyber warfare, cybersecurity. Sure. And both candidates were asked, uh, after the spate of hacks that have been happening in the country, who's behind it? Hillary Clinton pointed to Russia. Donald Trump answered this way. Listen. Sure. I mean, it could be Russia, but it could also be China. It could also be lots of other people. It also could be somebody sitting on their bed that weighs 400 pounds, okay? Are you looking for people sitting on their beds wearing 400 pounds? Does the bed weigh 400 pounds? I think he means that person weighs I just want to double pounds, check that. Yeah. Uh, your thoughts, Evan, yeah. when you heard that explanation last night on the stage. Oh, well, uh, all the indications that we've heard about have, have pointed back to Russia. And, and Donald Trump in the past has defended Russia's hacking activities in the context of this election, which I think is absolutely incredible. How do we have a Republican nominee who is defending Russian government hacking and undermining of our democracy. How is it that Republicans and the Republican leadership won't stand up and repudiate this as well as Donald Trump's racism, which I think needs. So how screwed up is the United States and the CIA are running candidates for president in order to manipulate the election result? Okay. Now, how'd you know he was a fraud? Well, the red flag went up when I saw that Glenn Beck fell in love with him. So Glenn Beck has his own sort of CIA pedigree himself uh, of uh, Ivy League um, variety. And birds of a feather flock together, okay? And if you listen to the rhetoric there from this uh, CIA operative running for president, uh, he's all in with this Putin-Russia thing, okay? So he loves that. So so basically this is, he sounds he could just be running for, he could be campaigning for Hillary Clinton. Glenn Beck loves him. Mitt Romney loves him. So there's the Mormon wing of the uh, CIA, uh, Glenn Beck and Mitt Romney. I love this guy. So you know that he's no good. And this, so he's clearly been injected into a key state uh, to steal just enough electoral votes maybe to swing the election. If Donald Trump loses uh, because of Utah, uh, then you know this was an incredible, this is just another wing of this operation by the establishment to thwart what looks to be an outsider out of the political uh, arena has come in and basically, as Michael Moore said, uh, a giant FU to the establishment. That's what the vote for Trump represents. So there's Evan McMullen, and he works where he's also ex-Goldman Sachs. I mean, what a great CV. CIA, Goldman Sachs, Mitt Romney loves you, friends with Glenn Beck, fantastic. So you know that something's up here. Now, listen closely there was a poll out, um, I think a couple of months ago, 60% uh, of Americans worry that Hillary Clinton would not be able to properly regulate the financial industry because of her ties to it. What do you say? You know, I, I, I don't know how to, I don't know how to, I, I'm not sure how to respond to that. People say that. I would say that the financial system today is so much more tightly regulated the regulators in their seats are so vigilant and so tough, and their reputations depend on that toughness. Everyone is, it's not a place where everybody's disarmed, everybody is armed. And the consequences of any kind of breach are so severe, I think, uh, I think, we've, I think, I think we've handled that aspect of it. I think, look at the, you know, is something, I, I you know, frankly, I'm scared to death of mistakes that are made in my organization. And guess what? 
the world wants me to be scared to death of that, and they want me to be vigilant at the end of the day, and they've accomplished their, pur their purpose. They have me on edge all the time. My biggest fear, I am not, I don't live in fear that I'll do something wrong. I know I won't. Of course, there are accidents can happen, but I know I'll never do something wrong intentionally. I live in fear that one of my tens of thousands of employees, and for other people who run big companies, it's hundreds of thousands of employees, will do something wrong, and their bad behavior will be ascribed to me, not simply because I failed to supervise, but in this current milieu, it'll be ascribed to me as if I intended that bad act that was accomplished by somebody in the organization, or even if it's multiple people in the organizations. And that's a very, that's a very hot, we're talking about an anxious economy. Guess what, you have an anxious industry, and guess, you know, and I'll say, go further. Uh, I'm sure that people are happy that it's that way. Lloyd Blankfein, pleasure to have you on. Well, thank you very much. So there's Lloyd Blankfein, head of Goldman Sachs, one of the architects of the banker bailout, which that wouldn't have passed if not for Obama and McCain, both left the campaign trail uh, in August, October of 2008 to lobby their prospective houses and, and parties in the Congress and Senate to, to pass the second round of the bailout failed the first time. And with the help of the great, wonderful Obama and his friend, John McCain, they got the, the bailout through. And that man, Lloyd Blankfein, profited hugely. And they all pocketed their bonuses and uh, lived happily, happily ever after. And then they get softball interviews by the likes of Fareed Zakaria, which is disgusting. Okay. Now, who is Lloyd Blankfein? Well, he is one of the people that has put money into the hedge fund of Chelsea Clinton's husband, Mark Mavinsky, I believe his name is. So bankrolled by Blankfein. So how did Goldman Sachs get in the position? Uh, how, how did the economy get in the position to collapse from the subprime housing market? Well, Bill Clinton made that happen by repealing the Glass-Steagall Act in 1999, last thing he did before he left office. That was the greatest gift to Wall Street ever given. And they've paid the Clintons back ever since. And our, we find out from this, this leak today, this is how well they've been paid back. Hundreds of millions of dollars. And speaking fees, consultancy fees, money laundered through the Clinton Foundation. So corrupt. So corrupt. And this is, this is the little syndicate that we're talking about. That's exactly what it is. It's a syndicate. Who's in the syndicate? What, what's involved? We could go on and on. But basically, it's politicians. It's political appointees. It's lawyers like Cheryl Mills and all these people who pleaded the fifth over the email scandal, handing out USAID contracts, as we covered on the Sunday Wire last week with Daddy Cherry. If you haven't heard that, that's just an amazing interview. Silicon Valley's in there. Facebook's involved. Ser series of corporations. Law firms, Hogan and Howe, Hogan and Lovell in Washington, all connected with Loretta Lynch, the DOJ, James Comey, the FBI, and it's an endless uh, revolving door. The Democratic Party, uh, the Center for American Progress, which is basically John Podesta's, her campaign manager, the one whose all these emails have been leaked. That's his own little political war machine, disguised as a foundation or a think tank or something. You have foundations, you have people like George Soros, various NGOs, CNN, NBC, MSNBC, New York Times, Washington Post, ABC, CBS, NBC, and the super PACs 
like NextGen, run by Tom Styler. That is the syndicate. This is exactly like kind of an organized crime syndicate. Okay, this is your shadow state. This is a shadow government. Now, don't get me wrong, the right wing have one too. But, but it's not as well organized, uh, and it's not as militant, and it's not as well weaponized as this one is. Okay, and as we know from all these leaks and all these scandals, it's bad. Okay, it's really bad. And then we have these wonderful apologetic op-eds. This is from the New York Times. This is by Jonathan Rausch. Uh, so a lot of Clinton supporters are able to get out these articles through the newspapers. And this one says, Why Hillary Needs to be Two-Faced. That's the headline, believe it or not. And th- this is what it's come to. Uh, I'm going to read this. So although this year's presidential race has not been the a season of gentle ironies. Uh, There's one to be found in the revelation of what are alleged to be Hillary Clinton's closed-door speeches. After all the fuss about the bombshells that they might contain, they show a warmer, more relaxed figure than the guarded, elusive, and sometimes evasive persona she presents in public. Just as refreshing, they show a disarming candor, including a candor about lack of candor. Wow. Double entendre. Politicians need to be two-faced. Mrs. Clinton supposedly said the campaign did not confirm the leaked document's authenticity. Uh, no, no one's denied it either. So it's it's real. But if her frank and critique frankness proves to be more of a political non-event than a bombshell, as it has been the case to date, then uh, that will be for a good reason. Most of us know she is right, even if we don't admit it. This is the kind of stuff that is being put out through the U.S. mainstream media, saying that it's good that she's two-faced. It's good that she has a, a private opinion about Catholics or, and then a public opinion about this or open borders, uh, etc. So, so many different issues. And, uh, and then we see Goldman Sachs right in the middle, putting money in the Clintons' pockets for years, or for, for over a decade. And then there, you've got a Goldman Sachs guy trying to steal Utah away from the Republicans. His name's Evan McMullen, CIA Goldman Sachs guy. You got Blank Fine uh, in the background waiting for the Clintons to win because it will just be making hay while the sun shines for the next four years again for Wall Street. And then you have John Podesta and the Podesta group, John and Tony Podesta. This is her campaign guy. They run stuff for, God, anybody who's got the money. Anybody who's got the money. They've got they they do the lobbying for them. There's a couple of lobby groups. Any foreign governments, it's it's just uh, it's a free for all. There's never been this level of corruption in the United States that anyone can can remember. But the thing is that here's the important point to take away: no matter how bad the story is, and this is what this is what else that we've learned from this lesson. And I I think this is a great time to be observing. If the media, if the mainstream media doesn't take it and amplify it, then no matter how bad the scandal is, it won't have any effect. So the media, they determine who wins elections at the end of the day, or they determine what the public believe or don't believe, or what what the public think is a priority in terms of a scandal. Certain things will be downplayed for some candidates, certain things will be inflated for others. And so whatever the media's agenda, and clearly the establishment and the media and the corporate establishment are favoring 
the Clinton campaign, overwhelmingly, okay? And so they're downplaying all of these historic scandals that make Watergate look like nothing. And this is happening before our eyes today. This, is a, this, this shows the absolute rank level of corruption in the United States, that, e- that even her Democrats will want to look the other way just to get their candidate in because they think Donald Trump's that bad or they're that good, that they don't care about the rule of law. You have the FBI not enforcing the law, but basically selective prosecution. Certain people get prosecuted, others won't. So the the FBI has been gamed. This is why the FBI was created to stop organized crime, and now the FBI is part of the organized crime syndicate. So this, the, so the United States, you know, espouses these high standards uh, internationally and wants to impose its system on the rest of the world. And well, we know that's a lie, but this is what they say: freedom and democracy. But we have total corruption on a level of it's almost Brazil level here in the United States. And it's funny, I used to know a, a journalist for Global TV, and he told me the media decide who wins the Brazilian elections in Brazil. Well, Global decides. Global TV have a, almost a monopoly on the media. This was back in the 90s. I don't know if it's true today, but this is what he told me back then. And I always remember that. And I always went, wow, what if it gets that way in the U.S.? Well, I think we're there. We're already there. So we'll see what happens uh, with this election. It's definitely interesting. A lot of good stuff's come out. And it's shed a lot of light on the true nature of what goes on behind the curtains and the duplicity and the two-faced aspect of politicians, which we all knew about, but now we know the gory details of it. So in that way, I think it's good. Look, we could cover lots of other things. There's a lot of amazing stories, but I wanted to share these bits with you because I want people to think. Think about it. Think about some of this stuff. Look at this uh, incredible syndicate. And foreign governments like Saudi Arabia can now buy influence like Israel's been buying for decades, buying off politicians in the United States. You know, foreign lobbies, foreign cash directly affecting policy and affecting who gets into power. And the media are the key. They're the key choke point in all of this. So who owns the media? Well, that's easy to find out. But the interests uh, all converge. Uh, they're in the profit centers. So they like war, and I think we will get war with Clinton. That's that's a certainty. I don't know what we'll get with Trump, but I know what we'll definitely get with uh, with Clinton. We'll be more of the same. To our subscribers and members uh, here at 21wire.tv, we really appreciate your support, and uh, it's, it's enabled us to do a lot of things we're doing, and we'll keep doing them, and we'll hopefully be doing more. Uh, we will be doing more, especially over the next 12 months. We've got more surprises uh, ready to be rolled out um, in the coming months and over the next year. So we're really excited about that. But but really just keeping this level of uh, news coverage and analysis going, I think a lot of people are enjoying it. I'm getting a lot of great feedback. Thank you for those of you sending us messages. We really appreciate it. So, uh, But keep your eyes on 21wire.tv for new releases. Uh, we'll probably release another QT pretty soon uh, to make up for... Uh, what we're missing last week. We had an outage last week because of, we don't know why, possibly DDoS attacks uh, to our server. Uh, We had a lot of problems. We were down, the show Sunday Wire was even down uh, two weeks ago. 
but we fixed some of those problems and we'll keep improving our systems and we're able to do that with your help and support. So we really appreciate it. Thank you again. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. This is On the QT at 21wire.tv. You take care. We'll talk to you very, very soon. <laughs>